Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas, ice houses blaring on the stereo, it's humid and dangerous, and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello everyone and welcome to Loose Units Origins. Every week I take a chapter from my book Loose Units, which is about my dad who used to be a cop, and we kind of get him to dive deep and talk about the story behind the story. And this week I've made an executive decision, dad. We were meant to be doing chapter 16, which is called a meet and greet. But I mean, we've kind of covered that meeting before and Rather than retread old ground, I thought it would be more exciting to jump ahead to chapter 17, which of course means you haven't had time to read the chapter and prepare, which means I hope to catch you gently off guard. Are you okay with that? I'm okay, but I, on the balance of probabilities, probably won't catch me off guard because I'm always on guard. Also, I'd like to say to the wonderful listeners... Mm-hmm. that we had an incredible time in Melbourne. To think that a few days ago, you and I were sitting opposite each other doing the podcast. And now I'm back in Sydney in kind of quarantine till Wednesday midnight. Yes, five-day yeah. quarantine. But I'm, 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 I'm happy. I'm not happy that you're down there and I'm here, but I feel comfortable um, because we've been doing this for a long time now. So I'm sitting in my sort of cosy environment up here talking to you. Yeah, so you're locked down and you're finally getting a small taste of what it was like to be in Victoria, which yeah. must be fascinating. Um, okay, so like I said, this week we are going to be dealing with Chapter 17, which is called The Floater. Chapter 17 is one of my favourite chapters in the book. Um, I think as a story, it's super, super weird. Now, it revolves around yourself and Ant-Man heading to Luna Park. Now, Sydney and Melbourne both have Luna Parks, yeah? And Luna Park in Sydney is a is a serious it's a serious thing. It, it's in an incredible place uh location-wise. It's visually very 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 imposing. 
and it's right on the harbour, which is extremely important for this story. Now, first off, Dad, let's start with the, um, I guess, elephant in the room. How do you feel about clowns in general? Well, clowns, I find... We, while we were in Melbourne, we actually walked past a very famous um, organisation that trains circus folk. Circus folk. Do you recall that, Paul? Yes, yes, yes. I live quite close to where they, you know, Circus Oz trains quite near us. And Dad's referring to them as circus folk. But but when, okay, when you think of clowns, Dad, the clowns we're referring to are not the kind of contemporary Cirque du Soleil style Circus Oz kind of contemporary, interesting, conceptual clowns. We are talking about the classic powder makeup, curly wig, weird, slightly I lecherous van. Really I terrible. Mean, clowns yeah. are very disturbing. Okay. And okay. Um, in all their guises, from their creepy curly-haired wig yep. to their white face mm-hmm. to their sometimes or quite often they have a um, a red ball on their nose. Why do, why do they scare you? Because a lot I, of people are scared by clowns. I'm just trying to figure out why you, a big brave man, find them unsettling. What is it about them? Well, Stephen King's uh, film It yep. was horrific. I found the whole thing really, really disturbing. So, yes... They, they freak me out. And those clowns, they have, you know, that those machines where the clown heads in unison all rotate and you pop a ping pong ball in their mouth? Yes. You try and see. Well, they used to have things like that at Luna Park. If you do that to a real clown, they will get upset. And, they and probably... also, it will come out eventually, but not for some time. Well, like 10-ish hours if you want to try it on a real clown. Mm. Although the, the frequency with which several real clowns are oscillating left and right at an even tempo in the real world is, is, is slim to none. But as you mentioned, yes, those weird oscillating clowns are one of the attractions down at Luna Park. The reason I mentioned the clowns, Dad, is in order to get into Luna Park, you have to pass through the mouth of a giant kind of gaping mm. clown. Yeah. Uh, and on this, and that's one of the things that has the Melbourne and Sydney Luna Parks have in common. They both have a massive clown mouth, but the Sydney one is way creepier. Now, the Floto takes place at Luna Park, and I'm going to read uh, from the chapter right here. Great. John hated clowns, which is passe nowadays, but before pop culture turned them into ghoulish van demons who fed on children while quaffing helium and quaaludes, clowns were considered funny. As a child, though, John had been invited to Luna Park every year for a friend's birthday. Now, there is a story surrounding Luna Park and yourself. I'd like you to tell this story from memory, if possible, when you were invited to Luna Park as a kid for your for your friend's uh, birthday party. Because this kind of, for me, taps into, I don't mean to play, you know, armchair psychologist, but this anecdote seems to be why you are actually scared by clowns. Could you please tell myself and the listeners about that that day? I had a friend... <clears throat> I had a few friends when I was young, and but this particular friend, his father was an architect and they had a beautiful Jaguar. Now, back in the early, early 70s, if you had a Jaguar in Sydney, mm-hmm. that was considered to be almost a rare vehicle. And I used to love sitting in the back of this Jaguar. I used to pretend that my friend David's father who was an architect. I used to pretend he was our chauffeur. And he would, um, he'd pick me up from uh, my private residence in Beacon Hill. Mm -hmm. And because he used to take us swimming as well, we used to 
sort of do a lot of training back in the early days and we were in the band together and he ended up going to a private boys school and I didn't and but he still remained my very very dear friend and every year his family because they were well comparatively wealthy Mm -hmm. they used to get all like a whole group of his friends and I was always one of them and we would go to Luna Park to celebrate his birthday that is serious money. money yeah yeah. And it was it was just open slather. We would be given these tickets, uh, like a whole book of tickets, and it must have cost the family a lot of money. Um, and we would... I just used to really, really look forward to this wonderful, wonderful sort of event that I knew in my life, in my family's sort of life, we didn't get to experience, certainly not at that level. And his parents were very fond of me. And I remember one of the rides called the Rota, which is where you'd go in through this door and there was sort of, you'd be sort of, you'd have your back against what in effect was a spinning cylinder. Is this the kind of the the, the Vomitatron, the centrifuge where you... yeah. Yeah, did you ever go on that? Yeah, so you have your back pressed against this thing and then it spins and then basically you're pinned there like a butterfly to a corkboard. That's it's right, terrifying. yeah. And, and, and then when it's spinning, then the floor mm-hmm. sinks, just pulls away and you are yep. suspended. And it's a beautiful sensation, except when someone vomits and the, the vomit, um, it leaves your mouth. It hangs in the air for a second. <laughs> and, then it, and then it flies back. And, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily hit you. It might hit the people that are on either side of you. So that's a bit of a bummer. Um, and, and we had the Dodgem cars and we had Coney Island and, um, you know, the Big Dipper and all those particular rides. And you had the ghost train, the famous ghost train. Yep. Where, where there was that fire and um, quite a few people burnt to death, um, which was pretty horrific. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was just a, a fantastic night. Now, have I, have I left anything out, Paul? Yeah, the fact that you said you saw a clown there. So, Paul, after I'd um, been on the rotor, I went into one of the most um, exciting yet scary things at Luna Park back in the uh-huh. early days, and that was the ghost train. And um, the ghost train was was a really freaky thing. It was, it was Paul, if, if I could take you now to what I experienced back then, this rattling, these tiny little carriages that basically just everything was sort of creepy luminous paint and um i remember on one of the parts of the ride you'd actually come back out into the public domain but it was caged and i remember coming out and i saw i thought i saw a clown but the clown wasn't working at luna park the clown was just weirdly staring back at me and it kind of i found it very disconcerting and I, I began to realise that this particular clown was probably not real. I'd conjured up his um, his being, his force that night, and but what it turned out to be, I hate to say, was the beginning of my sort of unpleasant um, feelings with clowns. Right. And I realised then because when I became a um, a police officer, not only did I have the the terrible trauma and the memory that I'd actually been on this ride that had engulfed... Because there were this particular part of the ride, 
the ghost train at Luna Park. Mm-hmm. This particular part of it, because it's all in- enclosed, so you don't get to see the mystery, but they give you a, a tantalizing taste when the carriage for about five seconds comes out into this weird caged like a cage and that's where the members of the public could actually see their loved ones for a moment then they'd vanish again but on the on that fateful day of the fire the people never ever got to see their loved ones come out it's funny how much yeah the fire stuff came up during the fire brigade season of the show i believe Mm. and you told the story how you rocked up um and somebody had actually messed with the uh, what was it? The pumps, so that Correct. when you yeah, got they, there, they it turned, would... yeah, yeah, it's it's bizarre all. how I find it weird how often you are drawn to this park. But for me, this story—the reason I wanted to set the clown thing up, listeners—it uh, will become apparent very shortly. So when the call came through at one a.m. that a body had been found at Luna Park and John was told to drive to a place he considered mildly haunted, he thought, "Fine, this is fine." Luna Park is nestled on the harbour in the shadow of the Harbour Bridge, and at night, all the shapes skirting the water look less like glittering buildings housing Sydney's richest curmudgeons and more like broken, jagged teeth. The entrance to the park is a wide-eyed, looming clown head, mouth forced open in a permanent rictus to allow children to pass into what is presumably his digestive tract. Now, on this particular night, Dad, you guys got a call to head to Luna Park. And when you got the call, were you told that there was a body or were you just told to get down to Luna Park? How specific was the call? There was no mention of a body pool. We were told to uh, go down to Luna Park, which we often did. And because sometimes we do patrols within the park because it was just mm. a great place to go. And it was a place where lots of people used to break into and just, you know, it just used to draw people from all over Sydney. There was this sort of the mystique. And once it closed, it became truly a scary, dark, demonic, haunted playground where you had a feeling that there were supernatural scary things happening albeit in your mind but if you wanted to be absolutely freaked out and i defy most people that if they go into a place like luna park that has an amazing history going back a long long time back Mm. in the day before radio and television when people used to go there and seek out escapism fantasy and you know have fairy floss and and just you know, they had massive sort of distorted paper mache sort of figures and things that were fairly grotesque. But when we look at these things today, we almost look at them with a sense of sort of nostalgic sadness with a, with a tinge of sort of creepiness. Yeah. Because also, Paul, in my time in the New South Wales Police Force, I had encounters with pedophiles who dressed up as clowns. But, I know but, I'm sort of getting off the track a little bit, but the point is, Paul, that we'd go down to Luna Park this particular evening. It's sort of one in the morning. It's it's summertime. Uh, the harbour is still. There's sort of a pall of sort of sort of silence across the city. Again, even today at one in the morning in that area, it's 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 very quiet. But there'd still be cars and trains going across. But back in the in the se- in the, sorry the the eighties, it was a lot quieter. And you weren't allowed to just obviously walk into Luna Park. We were we were greeted by a security guy. And he said to us, he said, look, I've got something to show you. And we uh, were traipsing through Luna Park. And they're all my childhood memories because I knew it so well. I knew where everything was. 
Uh, everything was, you know, it was, but it was all closed and it was all shut down and the rides were just lying dormant. And just to see a Ferris wheel standing still in, in this sort of weird light is, it's, you know, the imagination gets going. And I'm working with this particular guy, um, Ant-Man, who, who didn't really enjoy, you know, certainly didn't like paperwork. And um, we were informed that, uh, we, that there was something floating down, wedged in the rocks. And um, we made our way down to the actual harbour. And, and, and it was, there was very big sort of boulders and, and rocks going right down onto the water, which is Sydney Harbour, pretty well beneath the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And we looked down and um, we can see a human body. Uh, clearly deceased. Can you describe? I mean, do you smell it first, or does it? Not, is there any odor or anything like that? Not at first, but this particular body, um, and I can say this sort of with hindsight now, mm-hmm. is it was fairly distended, and the face. So we, we shone our torches, and we got up pretty close to the body, and I could see quite clearly and i now know that that particular body um my my opinion is that the person had uh, had jumped from the uh, harbour bridge which used to happen a lot now people that have gone and seen the sydney harbour bridge in the last few years will notice they've got this intense very fine um mesh and it curves up and in towards the bridge the roadway yes. So it's it's nearly impossible to scale to it. climb to, to scale it. But mm. back in the 1980s, you could very very easily just walk across the Sydney Harbour Bridge and just sort of do a little bit of a sort of put your hands on the railing and just swing over, and you'd be in freefall. It was that easy. It's terrible. It was, and 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 believe you me, it it was an incredibly regular occurrence. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And when you hit the water from that height, um, generally speaking, you die because of the surface tension of the water. It's like hitting steel. You may as well just jump onto a pavement. Unless, of course, and there have been a few rare cases. There was a very famous case where a lady jumped and her handbag landed seconds before she hit the water. The handbag broke the surface tension of the water and she survived. So, uh, And I don't know whether you'd really want to survive that type of fall, taking into consideration the incredible injuries that one would sustain. I guess broken bones because of the impact. Mm. Um, so we, we we believe that this particular person, but what happens to a human body in the water is that um, they eventually sink. And uh, the deepest part of Sydney Harbour, which is actually very close, mm-hmm. if you draw a line from where this particular body was, because I've done a lot of scuba diving there, Okay. And, and go across to Miller's Point, because we used to use all the marine and harbour maps, which used to give us the depth. Yeah. And the deepest point, depending on the tide, in Sydney Harbour is at that particular midpoint between Miller's Point and the um, Lunar Park is around about 140 feet, which is very, very deep. And this particular body had had sunk, and then what happens when they're at the bottom of the harbour? Invariably, you have crabs that um, are just sort of strolling along, along the sandy bottom, and right. they, they come across a large um, piece of meat. Uh, that's how they would interpret it, I imagine. And they go for the soft tissues, which are generally the eyes. So generally speaking, they'll take the eyes, they'll eat the eyes. Um, some small crabs will crawl inside. They'll go down your esophagus into your gut, and they may feed off uh, your last meal. Um, so they've got all sorts of things that you've got tiny fish. And, and as the flesh softens, it becomes a lot easier for small creatures to actually nibble away. So when we saw this particular guy, I guess the most important part of this story so far is that what happens is that the body then begins to fill with gas, which is created from all the, all the rotting enzymes and intestines. Everything starts to gas up. And then that causes a, a desire for the, the deceased to then float. And then at a certain point, that person, and it can be days later, maybe three or four days later, mm-hmm. they will then come back to the surface. Now, once this particular guy hit the surface, the natural currents begin to just ebb and flow. And he happened to float like a tiny little boat into the um, the area the very, very yeah. close, the rocks mm. associated with that could only be accessed from um, inside the uh, 
the grounds of Luna Park. So we were led down to this particular guy. We could clearly see that his body was distended. Yeah. And my buddy, he he grabbed this stick because there's a lot of sort of driftwood and, and sticks and, and things that have just sort of floated and wedged on the rocks. And he actually grabbed um, a stick and he actually poked the stomach. And what I thought he was doing, he was just kind of going to bring the body in a bit closer. Oh, sure. Uh, so that we, because we realised that you know there's a fair bit of paperwork involved. I was confused um, in the. By the way, when we did these initial interviews, I was confused as to where he would get a stick. So I think I said it was just like a beam of wood or something. Yeah, yeah, no, saying, it was. No, I'm just curious as to where one would get a stick. Oh, heaps of sticks at oh, Luna Park. Right. No, but in the rocks. You know, Why sort are there of sticks in the. Oh, driftwood flotsam, and stuff. Flotsam, like driftwood, flotsam and jetsam. What's the difference between those two? Not sure. But, Out of the um, two of us, who's who's the flotsam and who's the jetsam, would you say? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. No, I'm um, serious. Hang oh, on. Well, I, I, dif- I'll need to know that what they mean. Right, let's find out the difference between flotsam and jetsam. You're looking it up. Here we go. Flotsam is defined as debris in the water that was not deliberately thrown overboard, often as a result from a shipwreck or accident. So, okay, so the stick is flotsam. Jetsam Correct. describes debris that was deliberately thrown overboard. Right, so the body is jetsam and the stick is flotsam. Yeah, yeah. Technically. Love it. Technically. Yep. So um, I, I honestly believed, uh, and I was fascinated. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to think, Paul, is it possible Yeah. that this was my first dead body I'd seen apart from going to the morgue? Jesus. I mean, here's I the think- thing. Well, to create the book, certain things were kind of shuffled around on the timeline to create a, mm. a real ebb and flow of you know drama and all kinds of reveals but if this was actually your first dead body in the field so to speak i um, have a feeling it, it's my first dead and fuck so when you mm. got when you approached the park was there any sense that you were apart from the creepiness of the clown no. stuff and the memories of the dead of the ghosts and whatnot no so oh shit so so the first time you see a dead body in the field you've already been thoroughly traumatized by the time you get to the body mm. Well, I've had so to did go he... through. Go on. I've gone. I've gone through Luna Park, which in itself was a bit bit weird. Yeah. But then to come yeah. across a, a deceased uh, floating or sort of wedged slightly, and I, I I knew you know I was knew what the procedure was. The procedure was that we um you know put it put it out over the radio and and explain that um you know we um you know well there were certain procedures. To, to we'd have to get the government contractors in. Would forensics get there at all, or uh, possibly if if it was deemed to be a crime scene? Um, but you can imagine how this can snowball into a really really big production. Like we're talking, could turn into a major event. And it, and, and and technically speaking, Paul, uh, with forensics, detectives the coroner, you know, the whole big full-on production, depending on the circumstances that we were unaware of at this stage, we could well have been there until the next day, just sitting there. That's a long, long, that's a big, long night. Now, I'm excited. I'm I'm witnessing something unusual. I mean, it's not every day you come across a deceased um, floating basically right in front of you. Of course. And and I remember this per- person, this male, he was actually bobbing up and down. Right. 
because there's always a fairly, there are tiny little waves and there are currents and all sorts of things happening. And then I witnessed the most extraordinary event. And to this day, um, and I'm sure he's not the first police officer to do this, but there's a thing about demarcation in the New South Wales Police Force. And that is that if a body is touching the land, um, it's, it's general duties police. And in right. this case, it's 6th Division because it's North Sydney. It's our area. And you know how we talk um, about sort of delineation of areas uh, like the Harbour Bridge, the accident that mm-hmm. occurs depending on what side? Because at the end of the day, Paul, if it's in your area, you have to take control of the investigation and you don't know where it's going to finish. It could end up in court. Um, you just don't know at this stage. It's early it's like a bo- Yeah, it's like a ball coming over someone's fence. That's you right. Know. You you yeah. just are unaware of the, of the history. <clears throat> so um, my colleague, what he did, um, and you've got to give him 10 out of 10 for ingenuity and uh, at least putting an effort into to not sort of have to do the work, is he got the stick... And I'll never forget um, the security guard was just standing there, agog, just thinking. And, of course, there's nothing he can say, obviously. And my colleague, my buddy, he just um, got the stick. He sort of pressed it down on the on the, uh, the body mm-hmm. and he gave it a mighty heave and he just pushed it out into the harbour. Like in Asia when they light the little candles or they set the little little paper boats on the Ganges and you push it out. So if this guy had a, had a candle on him, yeah. that would have been like a very big example. And he pushed the body out and the body started to kind of get involved in its own little eddy and there were a few currents and we were standing there and my... My partner, he just um, he got on the radio and he called in and he said that um, there's a body floating in the harbour. Away from Luna Park? Yeah. Hasn't come, hasn't touched the, the ground. And um, police VKG responded accordingly as, as per the instruction book. Right. And called in the water police, which were close by. They have their boats, um, you know, moored in that vicinity. Here's a question: If a body touches down and it's it, it's in the kind of jurisdiction of the people who are, you know, whose land that is, mm. right? Mm. Then how do water police do anything? Surely their job, surely that, like, don't they just wait for things to hit land? No. I mean, no, no, no. They, 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 you know, they they experience a lot of these jobs a lot particularly because they've got divers on board or they can have divers. Mm. Now, when they're retrieving bodies from <clears throat> from all sorts of locations, um, they are capable of, of handling the investigation. Right. And um, <clears throat> remember, that, remember that time when I was at the Sydney Opera House and I dived in to save that lady who'd... Um, and this is something we've never discussed on a podcast. This was only ever discussed at a live show. You, you know that story? Uh, With the lady they- that, you know, the lady when I was working at the Opera House and 
She, oh, yes. She, yeah. Sorry, yes. Incredible yes, yes, story. But the yeah. thing is that the police the police launched, the, the water police, they rescued her. So they, you know, that's their that's their brief. That's their investigation. You know, okay. they, they are serving pra- practicing police officers and they're more than capable of, of handling. Mm-hmm. And, they ha- they, and they pick up bodies in the ocean and that are nowhere near land. I imagine if it's a yacht that sinks out to sea. And they're a, and they're a deceased. You know, yeah. they 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 get them on board. They they process. They handle, you know, these situations. And and and, and sure enough, the uh, the water police. Uh, we waited. Um, probably waited because my colleague was hoping that the body wouldn't again come and touch the uh, touch the uh, the land because I'm sure he would have pushed it off again. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, so the water police rock up, and then they that they then grabbed um, the deceased, and that's the last we ever heard of it. So, so you don't you don't actually know. Well, as as we've established several times, there's no real follow through. No, these no, no. But we do know that they ended up doing the job because we never heard anything about it. Right. So that's sort of from a, from one perspective, it's it's a win insofar as you know we didn't spend the night doing lots of paperwork. But for yeah. me, it was a real downer because I wanted to actually follow the whole process through and I wanted to find out about the person. I wanted to get involved in the identification, which would have gone to fingerprints, which I did later on in my career. And yeah, yeah. Um, and I had no concept. And this is a learning experience for me. And I thought it was a bit kind of, well, on many, many grounds, I thought it was pretty piss poor. Um, but I understand from my colleague's perspective why he did that. And he certainly wouldn't be the first to do that and possibly... I think that sort of thing would be would not happen as much today, um, you know. Particularly, I hate to say it, with the fact that um, it's very, very possible that you would be filmed. Imagine how yeah. that'd look. Yeah, that would you, that would be the end of your career. Given everything you saw, um, at, you've seen at Luna Park over the years. Do you think it's possible that the place is actually haunted? Um, if I had a choice, Paul and listeners. Mm-hmm. And I say this hand on heart, if I had a choice between spending a night by myself at Luna Park or any similar establishment or any cemetery, I would definitely prefer the cemetery. Bearing in mind the cemetery, um, it's a different aura uh, because the, the Luna Parks of the world are places, not so much the Sydney Lunar Park because of its horrendous past yeah. with the terrible, terrible fires and the ghost train, but it's a place where people come, where families come to enjoy a moment in time that is that suspends all reality. But there's something about these paper mache grotesque figures and the whole clown thing for me, um, bearing in mind that one of the worst criminals in the world, the mass murderer, uh, you know, Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. He was a clown. And he presented the warden of the prison where he was a painting of a forest... And in that forest were balloons and the balloons that were held by the clown indicated that each clown or each 
balloon was a deceased young boy and the warden counted 53 balloons, I believe. So, yeah, the whole clown concept. Uh, but I kind of think that clowns historically are actually sad people that then they put the makeup on and they put the the face that gives them that smile, that upward painterly mouth. But it's kind of, and it's a bit jokerish as well from, from Batman. But isn't that also kind of what uniforms do? I mean, you put on a police uniform, even if you're not particularly feeling strong that day, the uniform is meant to project an image of, you know, authority, even if you're not particularly Agreed. authoritative. You Agree. Know, you're, you're put, yeah, you know, you're right, Paul. Yeah. And that's why... <clears throat> that first morning I rocked up to North Sydney Police Station, I caught a bus from uh, the Northern Beaches. It's the first and last time I ever caught public transport in my police uniform. Mm. Because when you hop on a bus or a train or walk down the street, you're not John Verhoeven anymore. You are a member of the New South Wales Police Force. Yeah. And it's a double-edged sword because I think what a lot of people fail to realise is that inside that uniform is a person who is just a person with all the, the traits. It can amplify them, of course. Um, you know, if you're a if you are predisposed to being a bully, then I think the worst thing that you can ever give a bully is a police uniform. Yeah. And the worst thing you can ever give a serial killer is a clown uniform. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. I mean, Father Christmas, I, I I don't have a problem with Sanders in department stores. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but I think the clown thing is... Um, Fucking weird. <laughs> is, just, is just, I mean, it's just... And I remember going as a young kid, when I was sort of seven years old in Armadale, we would go to a country circus, which was sort of in a like the big top and there was straw on the floor and there were elephants and lions and it was just so freaky. And I used to think to myself as a young kid, you know, if these lions get out, we're, 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 we're fucked. They're going to eat us. Yeah. And um, and then the clowns, you'd see... Look, can I just say this to you, Paul? And this is a bit weird. Not weird, but kind of one of those weird things where my friend Shane, nicknamed Professor McCoy, he's obsessed with electric cars. Minutes before... We started this podcast, Paul. He sent me an image of a tiny, tiny car. It's so tiny. And it's an electric car being developed in Switzerland. And I wrote back, get ready for this, Paul. Not knowing we were going to skip and do this chapter, as God is my witness, I wrote back how many clowns could fit in that car. How's that? That's a bit weird. That's weird. I rest my case. The rest of your case. Well, yep. thank you so much for listening to this very weird, clown-heavy episode of Loose Units Origins. We hope you're having a good one. We are really excited about this Thursday's, sorry, this Friday's episode of Loose Ends. Make sure if you have any questions for the episode, head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units to ask us questions. And next week, we promise we will be back with the actual next chapter of the book, which is chapter 18. So the next chapter is called So Sumi, and it introduces a really wonderful woman uh, who mentored dad during the police force. So that's going to be truly exciting. Make sure you do your homework. Make sure if you haven't already, grab Loose Units, grab Electric Blue, and we'll see you on Friday for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.